All right, Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to read. I was only going to do verses 1 through 7, then I changed my mind. I decided I'm going to do verses 1 through 13. Normally, when I make a game time decision, I go less, but here you're getting more. So just remember that. For the same price, too, okay? It's like price busters. You're getting more for the same price. Um, Hopefully the quality is not diminished. Uh, Okay, so let me read Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Paul writes, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, This grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the church, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you, do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Okay, just kind of a brief recap on last time. Actually, I just briefly want to just recap the idea that we see in verses 11 through 22. Even though we looked at it in three parts, Uh, Verses 11 through 22 really is just one section. It could have been treated in one uh, lesson. Uh, But there you have, really, I think what you see in verses 1 through 13 of chapter 3 is an explanation of what you see in chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Because he tells you what the mystery is in verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's what you see in verses 11 through 22, where Paul describes how those who are far off, the Gentiles, have been brought near by the power of Christ, and how the middle wall separation has been broken down, and how now Jew and Gentile are being built up together into a holy temple uh, unto the Lord, uh, with Christ as the cornerstone of the foundation, and the rest of the foundation being formed by the apostles and the prophets. So, what you see in verses 11 through 22, where Paul is unfolding this this mystery, this mystery that it was from ages past, this mystery which goes before the foundation of the world that you see in chapter 1, right? We were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. We were redeemed by the blood of Christ. We were now sealed by the Holy Spirit. Paul then kind of shows how that works out in real time as those who are dead in their sins and trespasses are made alive in Christ, how they are now, uh, we are saved by grace through faith, 
and we are now being built together into one new man. That's what Paul is describing here. And now, in chapter 3, he talks about how this is the mystery. This is the mystery of redemption that he particularly has been given as a, as we see here, a dispensation, or probably a better way of saying it is an administration, a stewardship that has been granted unto him to reveal this mystery. Uh, so that's kind of what we're going to see here. Paul is going to speak about the mystery of redemption in these verses here. And uh, the theme that I have here for this whole passage essentially is this. The mystery of the gospel reveals the wisdom of God in Christ Jesus. Right? You kind of get that. I draw that out from verse 10 where you see here the intent, the purpose of this mystery that has now been revealed is that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the heavenly host, essentially. So this, this mystery of redemption in the church reveals God's wisdom. It reveals God's wisdom. If you think about it, it kind of ties into what Paul will say in 1 Corinthians, right? That the gospel is the wisdom of God, right? That the world sees as foolish, that the world sees as a stumbling block, yet God reveals it as, you know, the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. So that's what we're going to see here. Um, and because I can't do anything other than three points, you've got three points. I can't do I've done other things in three points. I've done five points, and that's a lot. But here you've got the mystery hidden, the mystery revealed, and the mystery explained. So the mystery hidden in verses 1 through 5, again, where here you see Paul begins the section, for this reason, which is kind of like a therefore, right? You know, you see a therefore in the passage, you're like, okay, what does that mean? I've got to look back and see what Paul has been talking about. And the same thing here, for this reason, or because of this, that's kind of how it is in the, in the original Greek. Because of this, because of what? Because of what we saw in verses 11 through 22. Because of the fact that God in Christ is making one new man. Because God in Christ is breaking down the middle wall of separation that separated Jew and Gentile and is bringing them together into one body that is being built up as a temple unto the Lord upon the foundation of Christ and the apostles. Because of this, he says, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. Now, if you have New King James, you probably have a dash there. I don't know what it says in the ESV, if there's a dash there too. Paul does this a lot. Okay, Paul begins a thought, and then he interrupts himself. You know, because then he says... If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you. So he's like, look, I am the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. And he's like, you have heard, right, that I am the apostle to the Gentiles. You have heard that I am now in prison, that I am here for the sake of the gospel, right? He breaks into, you know, he interrupts himself in a sense to explain this this idea of why he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. Um... As, as kind of evidence that he is interrupting his thought, if you look down at verse 14 of chapter 3, he again says, for this reason, right? It's almost as if he's picking up his thought there. Paul intends to pray at this point. After finishing chapter 2, Paul intends to pray and to praise God for this. 
And he says, for this reason, and then he interrupts himself. He wants to make sure you realize the, 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 the stewardship that has been given to me. You realize the ministry that has been given to me. Because in verse 14, he says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to pray. You can even say that he really continues, that, that what he begins in chapter 3, verse 1, he really wants to flow into chapter 4, verse 1. Because where he says, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, look at chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. So you can almost say, not only does Paul want to pray, but at this point, Paul wants to break into his practical uh, application, his practical teaching in this letter. But he feels the need here to talk about this mystery, this mystery that was hidden, that was given to him to reveal, and then he wants to explain it. So... Uh, he has this interruption. And he's about to launch, as I said, into a prayer, but he's going to speak about his ministry as a revealer of the mystery of God, as one who reveals the mystery of God. We've seen this word mystery before. Um, it just means something that was hidden in past, uh, maybe veiled, if you will, maybe not completely unobservable, not completely unfathomable, but something that is perhaps hidden, veiled. Um, uh, you know, we often talk about the Old Testament being types and shadows that point to Christ. You may not necessarily see that if you just kind of go through the Old Testament without the New Testament there to help you interpret it. You may just say, well, those are just sacrifices. They're just offering because God told them to make these offerings. Yet the New Testament explains, particularly in the book of Hebrews, explains those sacrifices were meant to point to the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ Jesus on our behalf. So yes, they were sacrifices. Yes, they were given to Israel. Yes, they had a purpose. But there was also a further purpose to which they pointed to. They were a sign that pointed to a far greater reality. So Paul here is going to be uh, talk about himself as a revealer of the mystery of God. And he also refers to himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, we talked about this when we uh, began the book. Uh, almost certainly, I, mean, I can't say with 100% certainty, but it's, it's, it's the vast majority of scholars and the great consensus is that Paul wrote this during his house arrest in Rome after the book of Acts. So the book of Acts ends in chapter 28 with Paul under house arrest in Rome. Uh, we believe, most Christian scholars and commentators believe that Ephesians was written there along with Philippians, along with Colossians, along with Philemon. Those four letters were written while Paul was under house arrest. So, you know, the time frame you're talking about is approximately 60 to 62 A.D. Why does Paul say that he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus, though? He's technically a prisoner of the Roman Empire, right? <laughs> He's a prisoner of Rome. Why is he a prisoner of Christ Jesus? What's that? He's a bondservant, right? Yeah, he recognizes that no matter what's happening to him in this world, he is a servant of Christ. Everything that he does, everything that he suffers, if you will, is for the sake of Christ. Again, chapter 4, verse 1, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. Chapter 6, verse 20 for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. He's an ambassador. Remember, that's the language Paul uses in 2 Corinthians. 
He is an ambassador, right? You know what an ambassador is. He is an emissary for a king. He comes to give the message of the king. So he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He understands that no matter what's happening to him in this world, he is a servant of Christ, right? Oftentimes when he starts his letters, he says, I'm a servant. And that word there is doulos, which means a slave. It can mean servant, but he's got another word that he's going to use for servant later, diakonos, which means a servant or a minister. Here he's talking about, I'm in a sense, I'm a slave, right? I've been called to the service, and I serve at the pleasure of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he speaks of his ministry here as a dispensation in verse 2. Now, if you have New King James, you probably have a footnote there that points to... Uh, it says the word stewardship. The word really in, in the Greek is oikonomia. Okay, oikonomia. You can almost hear the word economy. That's how we get the word economy. We drive that word from that. It means a management of household affairs. Uh, ESV says stewardship. NIV says administration. And you might be like, well, why does the New King James say dispensation? Well, because the King James says dispensation. It's just kind of drawing that from the old authorized translation of the text. That's probably a word that was made more sense uh, when the King James was written, and the New King James, trying to be a, an update of that, just kind of pulls a lot of these words from the authorized in there, though the word, in our understanding, is probably better translated as stewardship, which is why they give you the footnote there. Now, a stewardship is something in which is entrusted to somebody, right? Uh, a steward is someone who manages a house. A steward is one who serves at the pleasure of a master to distribute and manage the master's goods. Think of Joseph in the house of Potiphar or Joseph in the house of Pharaoh. Well, he was a steward. You know, and, and one of the things Joseph says when Mrs. Potiphar is chasing him around the house, he says, your, master, your husband has given me control over all things, except for you, <laughs> right? In other words, he's entrusted to me the management of his household. How can I then be, uh, betray that trust by um, having an affair with you? So uh, he's a minister. He is a, a steward. He has been given the stewardship. In fact, if you remember, uh, I mean, I'm not going to go into depth on the call of, of Saul of Tarsus. We've gone through that in other contexts. But in Acts chapter 15... Sorry, chapter 9, verse 15. Uh, when, when Paul is, or Saul at the time, um, is, is called by, by the Lord Jesus, the risen Jesus, here he is, uh, the Lord Jesus is talking to Ananias, and he is telling Ananias that he has to prepare Saul for the ministry. And he says in verse 15, the Lord says to him, that is Ananias, go. Because Ananias knows who Saul is. And when the Lord says, I, I want you to go meet Saul of Tarsus, and he's like, what? <laughs> it's like, uh, he's, he's the one who's rounding us up and, and arresting us and, and bringing us to be killed. You want me to go? He's like, yes. Go to him, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentile kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. God has called out Saul of Tarsus and has assigned him this stewardship 
to be a minister to Gentile kings and to the people of Israel and to suffer for his sake. And that ministry here involves the dispensing of the grace of God to the Gentiles as a good steward. I'm reminded of uh, the parable Jesus tells in Matthew 24. Uh, it's, in, it's in the context of the Olivet Discourse. But he talks about who is the faithful steward, who is the faithful servant who, when his master is away, takes care of the servants, the fellow servants, by giving them their food and, and managing the household affairs well. Uh, when the master returns, he will be rewarded. And then he contrasts that with the wicked servant who, when the master is away, sort of kicks up his heels and beats the other servants and, and mis- abuses them and misuses the, uh, you know, the, you know, the resources. When the master arrives, he will then feed him to the dogs or kick him out, right? Put him in outer darkness. So he is a faithful steward. And Paul says here that God has made known to him, made known to him by revelation, how that by revelation he has made known to me the mystery. So this is a revelation. This is a revelation. The gospel is not something you can figure out by sitting around and observing nature or by looking into your heart or by human philosophy. Right? That's why Paul, when he talks about uh, preaching the gospel in 1 Corinthians, says, I did not come to you with words of human wisdom. Why? Because what I give to you is not something that can be derived by human wisdom. Now, I'm not going to speak foolishly to you, but he's like, look, this is not a human thing. This is a revelation of God. The gospel is known through revelation. We cannot acquire this knowledge through natural reason. And he says, look, I'm going to make known to you by revelation the mystery. We've already looked at that word. Something that was previously hidden or veiled or disguised. I'm going to make known to you the mystery. And then he says, then you got this you know, parenthetical comment, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Well, where has he previously written this? Well, if you look back at um, verses, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And really, the mystery, you could say, has also been revealed, though he doesn't use the word mystery, in chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Because again, we're going to see in a moment what the mystery is, but it boils down to this. The mystery is Gentile inclusion into Israel. And that's what all of chapter 2, verses 11 through 22 are talking about. So he's like, look, this has been made known to me. It's been revealed to me. And now I reveal it to you. That is my ministry to you. So it is to reveal something that was hidden, kept secret in previous ages, and that, and that something, as we'll see in verse 6, is the gospel, the gospel. If you remember when we looked in Galatians, right, in the early chapters of Galatians, Paul talks about how uh, the gospel was revealed to him, right? We often wonder, how did Paul know the gospel? Well, yeah, certainly he may have known some of the events of the life of Jesus. He was certainly alive during those times. 
But at least the way Galatians makes it sound is that Paul had a, a moment of time in which it was revealed to him. It was divinely revealed to him. Uh, and, and perhaps, you know, through the working of the Holy Spirit in him, he was starting to make these connections with the Old Testament that he probably knew backwards and forwards. Think about how Jesus uh, walks with the disciples at the end of the book of Acts and, and reveals to them how in the law and the prophets, all the things pertaining to him. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, our eyes were open. And then we, you know, we understood and our hearts burned within us when he taught us. So Paul here again makes, emphasizes that the mystery was not made known um, it's you know, there in other ages or other generations, but has now been revealed by the Spirit through the holy apostles and the prophets. What was hidden, what was veiled in ages past is now being revealed, not just by Paul, being revealed by the Spirit to the apostles and the prophets. So now you know, we've got this time in which Paul and the other apostles and the other prophets are going forth they are, this is after Jesus has been ascended, and they are making known this mystery to those out in the world. And again, Jesus said, as we mentioned earlier, that the Old Testament spoke of him. I mentioned the, the story in the, at the end of Luke's Gospel where he talks to the disciples on the Emmaus Road. If you remember from our time in John's Gospel, chapter 5, he talks as he's arguing with the Pharisees, or the Jewish leaders, he is, in a sense putting forth the witnesses that testify to his identity, that he is the Christ, the Son of God. And one of the witnesses he brings to his defense are the scriptures. And he says in chapter 5, verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them that you have life. He says, it is they that bear witness to me. And then later on in verse 46 of chapter 5, uh, Jesus will say, Moses wrote of me. If you, do not, you know, if you do not believe Moses, then you're not going to believe me. But Moses wrote of me. The Old Testament testifies to Christ. What was hidden in types of shadows is now being revealed. It is a mystery that is being made known. It is being revealed. In fact, that word reveal uh, is the word apocalypsis, right? Apocalypse. Think of the book of Revelation. It's a, it's a revealing. It is an apocalypsis. Uh, it, is, it is something that is being made known. The seed that was planted in the Old Testament is now blooming into a beautiful gospel flower, as we will see going forward. So that's the mystery hidden. Now Paul says, what is this mystery? Uh, well, that's in verse 6. In fact, if you have an ESV, you might have the words, the mystery is this, or something. That, and and there, should, there might be a footnote in your ESV that says, this is implied from the previous verses. Um, so in other words, it's like, what is the mystery? Paul says, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. That's the mystery. That is the mystery that was hidden in earlier generations and that Paul has been a, a, a appointed as a steward to proclaim. That is the mystery. The mystery revealed is that uh, is essentially Gentile inclusion in Israel. We've looked at this in previous lessons. We looked at this when we looked at chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, talking about Gentile inclusion in Israel. Yes, 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it does, it does come out in Genesis 3. That, that's, that's how Genesis 12, verse 3 plays out. It is something that was revealed about, you know, in Genesis 3.15, uh, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. It is, uh, I mean, Genesis 12, verse 3, Paul says in Galatians that the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham when he says, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, yes, that is the gospel mystery. All the families, not just his family, all the families. And that word family, if you remember when we looked at Genesis 12, verse 3 a couple of weeks ago, that word family is the same word that you see used in Genesis 10, where the, uh, the nations are dispersed, they're dispersed according to their families. Or some translations may say clans, it's the same word. Uh, they're dispersed according to their families, their nations, their languages, and their, um, there's a fourth one. Families, nations, languages, lands, I think was the fourth one. So the mystery. Uh, Again, chapter 2, verses 11 through 22 is a, a summation of that mystery. Paul refers to it as a mystery. Now, the mysterious thing wasn't that Israel was an heir, part of the body, and a partaker of the promises. That's not the mystery. The mystery is that the Gentiles are these things too. Okay, It's that the Gentiles are included in this. And in verse 6, and maybe you, you might remember this from a couple of weeks back. Um, in verse 6, you know, those three phrases, we're going to look at them a little bit, because it's the threefold nature of the mystery, that they are fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise. Those are the th that's the threefold nature of the mystery that Paul describes here in verse 6. And each of those three words in the Greek use a, a small little prefix called soon, which means with. Or together and I mentioned this a little while ago because uh, if you look at uh, let's say like chapter 2 verse 21 in whom the whole building is being fitted together um, or verse 19 therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens again that word in the Greek has that prefix soon same thing in chapter 2 verse 5 we were made alive together that's another word that has the word soon prefixed to it. And raised us up together, another word with the prefix soon in it. And made us sit together, another word with the prefix soon in it. Okay, so in other words, Paul is really overemphasizing this together with. Together with. He made us alive together. He seats us together with. We are fitted together with. We are fellow citizens with. We are fellow heirs, we are of the same body, we are partakers, fellow partakers with the promise, together, 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 with, with, with. He is throwing this all uh, together. He is saying, look, the mystery is not that Israel was given these promises, the mystery is that the Gentiles were to be included in these promises. And again, I want to go back to Gen uh, Galatians 3, because there are echoes of this. Uh, the, these thoughts from Galatians 3 that Paul is bringing in here to Ephesians. Uh, we mentioned this just a while ago uh, to, in answer to Fred's question. But in Galatians 3 verse 8, Paul is talking about justification by faith and he says in Galatians 3 verse 8, in the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith 
So even before there was a Jewish people, because Abram was not a Jew, right? He was of the Shemitic line, yes, but he was not a Jew in the sense of a national Jew yet. He, haven't even been, he hasn't even been given circumcision yet. He's still a pagan in, in uh, Mesopotamia. He's called, and he comes to the land, and, and we see here, Paul says, the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. So in other words, with this idea in, already in mind, Paul is saying, God preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. All the ethne, that's the literal word in the Greek, ethne, the ethnics, the, the nations, the, the Gentiles. That, that word Gentiles is often uh, translated, translates the word ethne as well. So the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham ahead of time, saying, in you all the nation, all the families or all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Again, drop down to verse 14, where he talks about the law bringing a curse. And then at the end of that, he says in verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham, what blessing? That all the nations shall be blessed in him that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Again, Paul, in, in Galatians, he's arguing, look, you are justified by faith. It is not by works of the law, right, that the Judaizers thought. But here he's saying, look, this promise was made beforehand, and that it might come upon the nations as well. Drop down to verses 26 through 29 as he closes chapter 3. It's like, look, you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Why? Because you're a son of Abraham by faith. If you are of faith in Christ Jesus, you are a son of Abraham. For as many of you as, as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed. You are a, you are more a, if you are in Christ, you are more a son of Abraham than an unbelieving Jew would be. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. These, these echoes, I think, Paul is bringing out in chapter 3, verse 6 of Ephesians when he says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of his promise, and uh, through the gospel. Now again, we, we talked about the um, threefold nature of the mystery Right, first is fellow heirs, uh, testing my reading of Greek here, soon kleronomos. So you are a, a, an heir with, uh, you are a, an inheritor with, fellow heirs. Gentiles and Jews together are heirs of the, the promises, heirs of the gospel, of the same body, susomos, a body together with. Uh, think of the body of Christ, right? Uh, the church is often referred to as the body of Christ. Um, we just saw in, at the end of chapter 2, Paul speaks of the church using the metaphor of a temple, right? You are being built up, fitted together uh, into a holy temple unto the Lord. Think of how Jesus himself in John chapter 2, when he cleanses the temple, says that the temple is his body. So again, this temple body imagery coming together, Jew and Gentile together. Uh, he talks about how you are partakers of his promise, or sumetakos, again, uh, a partaker with. You are 
you are one who is uh, given this promise. And this is all based on our union with Christ, right? You are fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of this promise in Christ. Don't miss that. In Christ. It is always through union with Christ that we get these things. And it is through means of the gospel. The proclaimed gospel, when the gospel is proclaimed, the Spirit will then take an unbeliever, make them alive in Christ, make them a partaker, uh, uh, unite them to Christ through faith by the proclamation of the gospel. And again, you see this shadow of Genesis 12.3 here. Uh, the promise of the gospel. Um, if you remember way, 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 way back in Romans 1, you know, oftentimes we look at the introductory verses of an epistle and we, you know, I don't want to say we skip over them, but we kind of just read them because typically it's like, I, Paul, I'm writing to you and grace and peace and so on and so forth. But Romans 1, 1 through 4 has a lot of meat on the bone, okay? There's a lot of meat on the bone there where in Romans 1, verses 1 through 4, again, you have this idea of a bondservant, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel. So he's, he's talking about his ministry. He's like, okay, let me tell you about this gospel, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. By the time Paul's writing this, what are the scriptures? The Old Testament, right? The New Testament is in the process of being written. It probably hasn't been uh, collated yet together into an official canon. It is being written as we speak. But when he says here, promised through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures, he is referring to the Old Testament. This gospel concerns what? What is this gospel about? His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let me tell you about Jesus. He was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. So he is, he is a descendant of David bodily. Yet, he was declared to be the Son of God with power to the Spirit, according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. So this gospel is about this one who is bodily speaking a son of David, yet in power by the Spirit through the resurrection has been declared to be the Son of God. This is something that is being revealed. This is the promise of the gospel that all the families of the earth will be blessed. They are one body, Jew and Gentile, in the church, a holy temple unto the Lord. Now finally, the mystery explained in verses 7 through 13. Maybe I should have just stopped at verse 7. Or verse 6. Anyway, verse 7. Where he says here, of which, the gospel, I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the church, or by the church, to the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. So he goes on now to kind of explain here the mystery. Um, first, 
uh, is that Paul became a minister of this mystery, of which I became a minister. He was made a minister. Again, remember, Paul didn't sign up for this, right? He didn't wake up one morning and say, I'm going to go out and preach the gospel. You know, no, <laughs> we all know Paul's story, right? If there is anyone, in a sense, if you want to say, kick, you know, drag kicking and screaming into gospel ministry, it was Saul of Tarsus, right? Because you know the story, he, where was he going? He was on his way to persecute Christians, to arrest them, to probably have them delivered to be murdered or executed by the Romans. So, no, he was made a minister, a diakonos, a servant, a minister of this mystery. Again, not by choice, but it was the, the gift of grace, he says. Because Paul now, on the other side of that event, notices that this is a gift of grace. That God had saved him out of a life of dead-end Phariseeism and given him a, gr a gracious gift. You, Paul, get to be my servant. What a gracious and what an amazing calling, right? I mean, we're all, in a sense, have a calling, but to be the apostle to the Gentiles, to be one who was who was considered, uh, uh, who was feared by the church, to be called into the ministry of that same gospel that he went and tried to destroy. What a gift of grace. I mean, really, for Paul's sins, God could have struck him dead right then on the spot. And he says, no, I'm not going to strike you dead, Paul. I'm going to turn you into a, a master builder. I'm going to turn you into one who's going to build on my foundation that I've laid. I'm going to make you my servant. Gift of grace that was worked effectively in him. But notice how in verse 8, Paul never forgot his past. He says, to me, who am less than the least. I don't know what less than the least is. <laughs> okay. Right? I mean, least seems that that's pretty less, right? I mean, that, if, you're, if you're saying you've got the most and at the other end of the spectrum you've got the least, then the less of the least would be worse than the least. I mean, it doesn't get worse than zero, but Paul is saying, look, I'm in negative numbers, okay? I, I, I'm in negative, it's like he, he, he I, the word in Greek is alakistateros, okay? In, in other words, I'm worse than the least. And, and there's a progression in Paul, when he describes himself, in 1 Corinthians, an earlier letter, he says, I am the least of the apostles. Christ. What's that? Paul, yeah, in fact, Paul means small, right? Um, but he says in 1 Corinthians 15.9, I am the least of the apostles. Christ Jesus appeared to me as, one, uh, as the least of the apostles. And here in Ephesians 3, he says, I'm less than the least. And then in 1 Timothy, a later letter, as he's more than likely, well, actually, 1 Timothy would have been written uh, after he had been released from prison. But there he says, I am the chief of sinners. Right? So his progression, least of the apostles, less than the least, chief of sinners. He never forgot his past. But he also sees his ministry as a great privilege. Again, what a blessing to see that no matter what you may have done in the past, God can take you and use you for his divine purposes. And that purpose here was to make known and preach, to evangelize the Gentiles on the unsearchable riches of Christ. The, in other words, that word means the, something that cannot be fathomed, something that cannot be, the depths that, of which cannot be plumbed. Uh, he talks about this in Colossians, a, a companion letter written around the same time. In Colossians 1, verse 27 
to them, the Gentiles, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Or chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 of Colossians, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches and the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God in whom are hidden all Christ, in whom in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, the unfathomable, unsearchable riches of Christ. In verse 9 he says, there's, there's a bit of a textual variant. Again, if you have New King James, you may have a footnote there. That word fellowship um, in verse 9, uh, it's you got a word there that says the N-U and the M. So the critical text and the majority text say stewardship or dispensation. Uh, that probably makes more sense to see what is the dispensation or the stewardship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages, what is, what is, when is the beginning of the ages? When did the ages begin? Creation, right, exactly, right? Let, let there be light in the beginning. So in the beginning of the ages, this, this mystery was not a plan B. It wasn't like, oh, the fall, I have to come up with something else now to, what am I going to do? They, they, I thought they wouldn't, I really thought Adam wouldn't eat from that fruit of the tree, but he did. Now I got to, what am I going to do? Uh, we need a plan. How about redemption? Okay. No, this is from, from the beginning of the ages. It has been hidden in God. In other words, again, mystery. It has been veiled. It has been hidden. It has been concealed. Now it is being made known through Christ, whom, uh, who create, God who created all things through Christ. And the intent here, the purpose of that mystery is to show the manifold, the, the, the multifaceted wisdom of God. Think of how uh, you know, if you shine light through a prism, it, it breaks off into all the colors of the spectrum. That's the idea here, is the, the much variegated, manifold wisdom of God. And this, and this manifold wisdom is made to the heavenly hosts, right? There you've got uh, to the principalities and the powers, right? We see this language earlier in chapter 121, uh, where Christ has been raised far above all principality and power and might. Uh, you see it later in chapter 6. Uh, when he talks about the, the armor of God in chapter 6, verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this age. The gospel, in a sense, is a mystery that is now being revealed so that the heavenly hosts will see the manifold wisdom of God. Think about what it said in Peter, where uh, the, the, the scriptures were were given so that, you know, as the Spirit moved in the writers, right, it's, it's something that the angels desire to look into, right? Think about in the, the parables in Luke 15, uh, how much rejoicing there is in heaven over one sinner who repents, right? The, the, the glorious grace of God in the Gospel is being revealed and the angels are like, oh, look at that wonderful, glorious, oh God, you are so wise in everything, Let's rejoice over the repentance of sinners as they come to faith in Christ. To show the eternal purpose. The eternal purpose, right? Verse 11, according to the eternal purpose, this has always been God's plan. We talked about this in our study through Genesis when I gave you that diagram in the back with covenant, you know, the covenants, and you have that pactum salutis, the covenant of redemption, something that was made 
in eternity past. This is part of the eternal purpose. This was always part of God's plan to bring Jew and Gentile together, make them fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. And he says, in whom we have boldness and access, Christ Jesus our Lord. He gives us access. If I had time, I'd go through these passages. But think about John 14, 6, right? Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. The way gives access to God. Think of Romans 5, 2, where it says, because we have been justified by faith, we are now granted access to God. Or Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, where we are entreated to boldly come before his presence in prayer. So then, as Paul talks about this, he ends the passage. He's like, look, therefore I ask you, do not lose heart at my tribulation for you. Do not, do not feel bad for me that I'm in prison writing you this letter because this is for your glory. I get to expound these truths to you. Do not feel bad for me. right? What, what, what did Paul say to the Philippians? He, he says in verse, chapter 1, verse 29, he says, Look, to you it has been granted not only to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but to suffer for his sake. Suffering is part of the gospel. It is something that is, that is part of our lives. You know, we, I quote this verse often. John 16, 33, as Jesus ends the upper room discourse. He says, look, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Why? Because the world's going to hate you. Why? Because the world hated me first, and you're associated with me. And he says, what? But take heart. I've overcome the world. Paul is in prison. He could be like, woe is me, I'm in prison you know, the world stinks, and I'm, you know, but no, he says, look, take, don't lose heart. Look, I, I, I'm here gladly. I'm here gladly because I've been called by the grace of God to proclaim to you the mystery of God. So, the glory of Christ in the life of the church, which is kind of the overall theme of Ephesians, is seen in the manifold wisdom of God revealed in the hidden mystery that's probably redundant. <laughs> That's like saying ATM machine, right? Because the M actually stands for machine. Uh, so it, it's the mystery. It's, uh, it's already hidden. It's now being made known. It is now being apocalyptus. You know, it's being revealed. And that is Gentile inclusion into Israel. And we can look at our trouble and circumstances and lose heart. We could be uh, you know, we could be in situations like Paul and, and facing persecution, facing uh, arrest, facing uh, all kinds of things and lose heart. But again, remember, God is working in all of these things. It has been granted to you to believe and to suffer for my sake. But take heart, I have overcome the world. He will work all things for his glory and our good. The mystery of the gospel is not an accident. It is not something that was a second uh, plan, it wasn't a plan B, it has always been plan A from the beginning. It is God's plan for all eternity, from ages past, before the beginning of the ages. The eternal purpose was always to work this out. And the good news is that for us, uh, that our salvation is not an afterthought, right? It is not that you are here as a part of a, a separate plan of God. No, this has always been part of the plan. It has always been part of the plan that the church would be this sort of multinational uh, institution, uh, something that uh, goes beyond national borders, 
There is no church of this country or church of that country. There is the one church of Jesus Christ. I try to emphasize this as much as I can, right? Uh, when Paul writes to the churches, he says to the church of God in the city, to the church of Jesus Christ in that city. It is not the church of Corinth, right? You know, it's not the church of Sutton. It is not the church of the RCOS. We are part of the church of Jesus Christ. We are part of a bigger plan, a bigger picture of people, Jew and Gentile, being brought together in the same body. So I'll stop here because we're at time. Uh, next time, the plan, not the eternal plan, not the eternal purpose, the plan conceived of as of Thursday of this past week uh, is to go through probably verses 14 through 19. I, I, may, I may save verses 20 and 21 for another lesson. I may include them. We'll see how I feel. I'll either finish chapter 3 or I'll almost finish chapter 3.